0: Welcome to TYT interviews, another great interview for you guys today. Brian Solis, uh, he is the author of X, the Experience When Business Meets Design. I I like all these titles you've got, uh, Brian. He's a hugely influential digital analyst, business strategist, change management expert, and futurist. Uh, My favorite is futurist. Um, Okay, let's start goofy. How do you tell the future, Brian? Well, it's, it's fantastic. You, you order a
1: crystal ball on Amazon and you just, you just sort of talk to it. But the, the reality. The reality <laughs> oh, it's that simple. It's that simple. Uh, the futurist title is one that is, uh, I, it's, I didn't give that title to myself, but the, the, the practice of it is to figure out all of this disruptive technology that's happening, sort of how does that play out 5, 10, 15, 20 years from now? Because you have to make decisions about that since we, since you don't change on a dime. Companies, governments, whatever it is, you have to sort of help them roadmap what this means to the future and build it out from there.
0: So you're really well known for being able to have your finger on the pulse of what's happening in the digital world, tech world. Uh, Your blog is ranked in the top ten of Ad Age Power 150. You've been in Ad Age, Forbes, Wired, Venture Beat, etc. Right. So. How did you get there? Right. Uh, I mean, how, how do you get to be this respected in an industry? I assume by being somewhat right throughout. <laughs> so, how did you figure it all out? All part of my evil plan. No, uh, the, I have no idea. To be honest with you.
1: I, <laughs> well, I like the honesty. <laughs> I started. I started as a programmer. Uh, I grew up here in Southern California, mm-hmm. uh, and I was either going to be a rock star or I was going to be a geek. And moved to Silicon Valley in the mid '90s to kind of. Pursue geekdom. And from there, I never got a job in programming. I went right into sort of just this big bustling shift between hardware tech of Silicon Valley and the internet. Uh, And that was so exciting to me that I started just tracking trends and writing about it. But the most interesting part about it wasn't just like, hey, here's all this cool tech, because there's plenty of people who can write about that and they're smarter than I am. I started studying tech's impact on people, right? So you start watching all of these discussion boards and forums take shape and grow and become hugely influential in the back channel, uh, and it starts sh- shaping and shifting society. That part was far more interesting to me, and no one was talking about that. And I still write about the same things today, and it's becoming much more profound now.
0: Okay, so where did you originally get uh, the job in all this? Was it in marketing? Was it a. <laughs> Uh, PR agency, like how how'd you get started? My first my first
1: job was as a database uh, architect in in a tech based advertising firm, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, I was building their databases. And I <laughs> this is a funny story. It's like it's actually one I don't really talk about much. But mm-hmm. I would hear the teams talking about how to launch all of these new technologies, and I would say like, hey. Have you talked to a technologist? Have you talked to anybody who might use this stuff? Because you're—that's not even remotely interesting. Like how you're talking about marketing this. Uh, and the president one day said, "Well, if you know better, why don't you try it?" <laughs> so I said, "Okay." Okay. <laughs> Terrific. <It's> <laughs> and uh, so it was this sort of human-centered approach to to technology marketing that I had no plans or interest in, in doing. But I ended up doing that for for quite a while, while still sharing everything that I was learning about. TEXT impact, you know, to to us, and uh, I published all that stuff for free online, sort of like before blogs were blogs, and that's where that's where my future sort of unfolded. Because when you give information away that's semi thoughtful and, and and you're consistent about it, as you know, you you build an audience, um, and mm-hmm. that audience sort of became a wave that I I'm still writing today.
0: So people started noticing the blog and saying, "Well, this Brian guy," it's, it turns out. They-. Hey, you know, that was kind of right. Let, let me yeah. keep paying attention to this blog. Is that basically how it works? That's worked?
1: exactly how it worked. And that led to uh, you should write a book and you should speak at this conference about it. And uh, I, I have never looked back. But yeah, I'm really thankful that, I mean, you, you don't set out for that. You, I, 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 my intention was to share what I was learning because it was so fascinating. And I still have that same passion, that same fire today. I still write on a blog. And give information. I still write research reports and books and what have you, but I still passionately blog, at least several times a week.
0: It's an interesting story. I mean, eventually we're going to look into the future here, and you're going to tell me what the trends are and uh, and whether TYT's uh, are doing okay. (laughs) What does the future hold for us? Um, But continue to look into the past for a second. So you grew up in the San Fernando Valley. Uh, it doesn't sound like you were very connected. I mean, you, I don't think you were Bill Gates' son or anything. So, so uh, where'd you go to school, and and how you like? How'd you decide to get into this field? Because again, growing up, does anybody dream of being? You know, in digital marketing or tech, or I don't know. I mean, tech, yes, <laughs> yeah. but like the specific thing you're doing, it's not like, oh, if one day I could just be a digital futurist. <laughs> yeah,
1: especially not in the San Fernando Valley. Right. Uh, it was. I mean, like, like I said, I was going to be a rock star or in technology. But when I was a kid, I used to mow lawns and save that money, and. Buy computer stuff uh, and learn how to program. I, uh, I taught myself programming basic early on, and then you know, I went to school at uh, started at Crespi, which is in Encino, uh, mm-hmm. and then finished up at Reseda High School. Uh, and you know, took Cobalt and Fortran. And uh, but I was I was pretty much a loner <laughs> in that regard. I mean, I not loner in life, but in in that field. And I don't know. I was just I just really loved tech, uh, and just sort of
0: felt like that was. That was the future. See that? Look, your story makes me feel a, a little bit more hopeful about the American dream, right? Because <laughs> a lot of people are are very skeptical and cynical about it today. Because it's so hard, and and I acknowledge that. There's no question. It's enormously hard. But it's great to see uh, people who've lived it. And, and so, yeah, Reseda, I mean, that's where my co-host ANNA KASPERIAN is from. You know, and uh, and. I mean that that it's not like that's known as a hotbed of up and coming folks <laughs> yeah, or whatever. The next Silicon Valley, <laughs> <laughs> right? not really, no. Uh, uh, but anyway, uh, so you get into the field, you start putting this stuff out for free. People start going, "Whoa, this guy's kind of right." And so then they're like, "Hey, why don't you make a speech? Why don't you write uh, something up?" And then next thing you know, you're writing books. AND Now you got a show too, Revolution. Uh, that's a video series that examines technology and trends. Uh, I I like I love this title. I like cool titles. Uh, CRM Magazine uh, in 2010 gave you the Authority of the Year award for software advice in 2011. Um, Authority of the year. (coughs) I want that. (laughs) I'm the authority of the year. Okay. (laughs) All right. So um, tell me about this book uh, about X. The experience when business meets design. What does that mean? Uh, what are you up to these days? What do I have to know about uh, the future this, uh, this is the so it's funny because as a digital
1: futurist and mm. uh, authority uh, yes. the, <laughs> the, there's a great irony in writing about uh, writing this stuff in books right because it is it is a, it's a past sort of vehicle medium uh, and I spent three and a half years though this is my seventh book. AND THIS ONE TALKS ABOUT EXPERIENCE, uh, AND HOW IMPORTANT EXPERIENCE IS TO THE FUTURE OF BUSINESS, uh, AND UNDERSTANDING THAT you know, PEOPLE, WHETHER whether IT'S GOVERNMENT, WHETHER IT'S BUSINESS, WHAT HAVE YOU, PEOPLE ARE GOING TO HAVE AN EXPERIENCE, AND THEY'RE GOING TO TALK ABOUT IT, THEY'RE GOING TO SHARE IT, AND SO WHY LEAVE THAT TO CHANCE, IT SHOULD BE SOMETHING THAT'S DESIGNED THROUGHOUT. Uh, AND I SPENT ABOUT THREE AND A HALF YEARS STUDYING HOW YOU AND I USE OUR SMARTPHONES, HOW WE WATCH VIDEOS ONLINE, HOW WE USE APPS LIKE TINDER OR WHAT HAVE YOU, You know, JUST HOW DO WE INTERACT ON THESE SCREENS, HOW, how LONG CAN WE FOCUS, how do, HOW DO WE RETAIN INFORMATION THESE DAYS, AND THOUGHT WITH ALL OF THESE INSIGHTS IT WOULD BE REALLY COOL TO DESIGN THE, the WORLD'S BEST DIGITAL BOOK, um, BUT I THOUGHT IT WOULD BE BEST IF I COULD PRACTICE WHAT I PREACH AND TEACH, the, THE BOOK REALLY TEACHES YOU HOW TO DESIGN EXPERIENCES, IF I TOOK THOSE INSIGHTS FROM DIGITAL AND APPLIED IT TO PAPER, uh, AND I THOUGHT THAT WOULD BE A REAL INTERESTING DEMONSTRATION OF HOW WE ARE changing. And you could see it in your in your hands um, while you're learning about how to be relevant in the future. And so that's that's what the book is about. is It's about shifting perspective and seeing seeing people differently, right? So we'll we'll uh, we'll we'll go to a party, and and most of the party will you'll they'll be on their phones rather than sort of having this interaction. And of course, if you come from a different era, you'll look at that and say, Hey, come on, people, look up, celebrate life. We're all in the moment, but. At the same time, they're in the moment. It's they're communicating in an entirely different way. They're highly connected, and instead of sort of judging it, which is what a lot of decision makers do today, you just sort of have to reverse engineer and say, why Why is that so captivating? How could I get someone's attention? How could I be relevant to them today? And then do those things right. Uh, and that's it's, it's not just what the book's about, but it was like just this great transformation for myself uh, in, in in realizing that I was my own Challenge, I, you know, cognitive bias, validation bias, all of these things. I would see the world not as it is, but how I was, and mm-hmm. sort of then make decisions based on that. So when you when you look at legacy and you look at the past, it's good, right? It, it helps you sort of grow. But there's also a great time for innovation, and that's what I actually am a big proponent for. There's, you know, you look at the remote control, uh, which is something I examine in the book. It is a, it's a sixty-year Demonstration of just iteration, right? You see, these wonderful flat screen TVs, 4K curved glass, and every one of them ships with this remote control. And what I REALIZED is that we we're just building upon stuff rather than rethinking what the remote control could be in 2015, or what what a website could be in 2016, or what are all of these things that we could just start questioning. Why do I click a disk in Word to save? When's the last time you've seen a disk? Like everything. Is ripe for disruption.
0: So, uh, you've said many things there that I've got to probe further on. Uh, First of all, uh, I can relate to I am my own challenge. (laughs) I'm a very challenging person to myself. (laughs) (laughs) I think we could all relate to that in some way. Okay, in in all seriousness, though, I I think you're absolutely right that the hardest thing to escape is your own perspective. Right. And so, I, I talk about this on the show all the time. We all live in some bubble. And in, for example, in the Washington bubble, they think, well, corruption is normal. Of course, you give me a million dollars for my super PAC, and I give you a billion dollars in tax breaks. That's just the way things are. They view that as perfectly normal because they're in their own bubble. Right. Celebrities are in their own bubble, and they feel like, well, everybody kisses my ass. I must be awesome. (laughs) Right. So, So uh, but we all deal with that, and so you got to be, and that is a very, very hard thing to do to break out of your own perspective. And that's, I guess. You know WHAT YOU HAD TO DO FOR YOURSELF BEFORE YOU COULD DO IT uh, to, TO TELL PEOPLE HOW TO DO IT AT LARGE. SO I GET THAT AND I THINK THAT IS SUPER VALUABLE. Uh, NOW, TO THE SPECIFIC EXAMPLE OF THE REMOTE CONTROL. SO GOD, I, I HOPE you, can, uh, YOU HAD AN ANSWER FOR HOW TO SIMPLIFY. BECAUSE I REMEMBER, SO THIS IS THE EVOLUTION OF REMOTE CONTROL FOR ME. Uh, REMOTE CONTROL USED TO BE THIS like I would walk up and I would flip the channels like this cuz I'm that old right um, and then and then we had the simplest remote control ever on off volume channel that's it and that was like 10 15 years right and I, god I miss that remote control and it looked like a star trek gun I loved it it was my favorite thing um, and it allowed me to sit in my seat I thought that was a revolution right channel Changing without uh, getting up. I'm not even sure it had a volume control, to be honest. Okay, but now we, every house, you know this, has 28 remote controls. No one knows which one turns on the TV. If you go to your parents' house, your uncle's house, it is impossible to decipher uh, which remote control you should use and how you get from one place to another. So I'm amazed that no one has been able to simplify this thing because of all those thousands of options on your 28 different remote controls. You largely use at most seven, right? right. <laughs> you know, but probably five, right? Yep. So, is anyone ever going to simplify it? Yes, uh,
1: and you know, it's, it's 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 both a problem and also a metaphor for what a lot of businesses, leaders, government, you know, politicians, they all face. They they make decisions based on this legacy, right? So, do you know the average number of buttons on a remote control is seventy? Right, so they got more complicated. They sucked more and more every every year. The best we got was like backlit keys and color coding, and maybe a dedicated Netflix button. But mm-hmm. Apple just simplified the remote with their new Apple TV. It has Siri. It has a touchpad, so you interact the way you interact on the smartphone. But it took a company that's never been in the television business to rethink. Just the same thing that they would did with the phone. You know. Um, A good friend of mine, his name is Andy Grignon, he was one of the original six iPhone uh, uh, engineers. And he tells a story about how, when they were designing the original plans for the iPhone, they presented to Steve Jobs this sort of dream team that they wanted to have for engineering. Uh, And they spent all this work on it. And and, and, uh, Steve Jobs famously threw all their work out and said, I don't want anybody on the iPhone team that's ever worked on a cell phone Mm -hmm. at all. And they're like, wow, what What do we do? And so that's that's what this book sort of talks about. It's like we we live in a in a moment of great disruption. You talk about you talk about corruption in in the government, right? Like Uber comes out of nowhere, right? Disrupts taxis, not because anybody who's used an Uber loves taxis, right? It's just it's a it's a it's a dead man walking. But it's not like it happened overnight. It's years in the making where you deliver bad experiences, you deliver a bad product. Of course, something's going to disrupt you, right? Especially now when when money is just sort of growing on trees. But Uber has taken millions and millions and millions of dollars in financing, not because it's trying to build a better app. It's because it has to fight corruption, because there's legacy-based decision making. Right? Everything seems normal until it's not. And so you have a company that's like, we don't need the remote control. (laughs) Let's build something new and fresh from scratch. What if you could innovate? What would it look like? And then that's I think this moment that we all face is this, this tremendous opportunity where we're standing at an intersection of possibility and legacy, right? And what do we do with that? Uh, and you know, my, my example was, hey, I'll make an analog app out of a book. But once you start doing that, it changes your entire perspective. What else can I do? What else is possible? And the hardest part is just getting people to come along with that because there's a comfort in legacy. There's a comfort in the remote control. Yeah. Uh, and I, I don't know i'm just a, I'm a big believer in 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 whatever you want to do now is the time to rethink it
0: by the way, I was literally gonna say uh, when is Apple gonna redo the remote right? <laughs> and fix it yesterday okay, apparently they did it okay good uh looking forward to it uh so look is another thing we talk about on the show all the time. the intersection of legacy and and logic is the way I would put it because i for example uh I look at the cities and I go. Why are they so irrational? Why didn't they just like make a big square? Okay, and the streets are one, two, three, four, and then A, B, C, D. And some cities are like that, and they happen to be new cities because they started fresh. But the older cities, well, that's because there was one patch here and one patch here, and they had to figure out a way to connect them, and then another patch grew over here, and it grew up in an organic way. So the legacy of that city is not rational, right? It's (laughs) rational within how it grew up, right? But not if you looked at it, and we we're going to start a new city. Right. You would never design it that way, right? <laughs> no. So, and that is—that's the tech world we live in. That's right. the whole world we live in. Yes. So, within that context, okay, what's going to get disrupted next? Well, what, what, what are we overturning soon?
1: Well, I'll tell you. So, in in that example, so my my father's. Um, he he's, he works in traffic engineering here in Culver City. Uh, oh, that's funny. Uh, and, and okay, so we, <laughs> that's
0: A perfect intersection. Here we go.
1: <laughs> exactly. So, right. I'll uh, one one of the parts in the book. I talk about how. Um, so you take the remote example, but you could do the same thing with parking signs, right? Or just traffic signs, and it's just it's just a mess. And then if you look at why why did they do this? Why is there a left turn thing here? Why is this? And there's this great sort of argument between traffic engineering and city planning. Because none of them collaborate, they just work in isolation, and then you just deal with it, right? But that it's the same thing that happens in every aspect of of our world—government, business, what have you. The people that work together or should work together don't, and I think that's that's to me this is the biggest area of disruption. It's not it's not about tech. I think tech is just gonna—it's obviously going to keep happening, and it's going to be more incredible, and we can talk about that too. But I think the greatest disruption is going to lie in. THIS SORT OF NEW GENERATION OF DESIGN THINKERS, AND THEY DON'T EVEN KNOW THEY ARE DESIGN THINKERS, BUT WHO WANT TO DO THINGS LOGICALLY THAT MAKE SENSE NOW AND FOR THE FUTURE, BECAUSE IT'S A DIFFERENT WORLD, RIGHT? It, and, BUT THERE'S STILL THIS WHOLE contingent OF FOLKS WHO they JUST DON'T WANT TO SEE IT CHANGE. THEY JUST KNOW WHAT THEY KNOW. BUT you know, TO GET DEEP FOR A SECOND, THERE'S AN INCREDIBLE AMOUNT OF DISRUPTION THAT LIES AHEAD IN, in, in MORE THAN TECH, IT'S AN EXPERTISE, RIGHT? SO WHAT DO YOU KNOW? AND WHAT ARE YOU GOING TO KNOW THAT'S VALUABLE FOR THE FUTURE VERSUS WHAT DO YOU KNOW THAT GOT YOU HERE TODAY? AND IF YOU LOOK AT THE JOBS THAT ARE SORT OF GROWING AND, and BOOMING um, AND EMERGING VERSUS THE EXPERTISE THAT PEOPLE HAVE, THERE'S A GROWING GAP, RIGHT? AND SO WE'RE ALL SORT OF IN THIS, this PLACE WHERE what, WHAT'S OUR ROLE in, <laughs> you know, and, AND WHAT ARE WE GOING TO DO ABOUT THE FUTURE? Um, AND IT'S A CHOICE. SO I, I, I THINK THE GREATEST DISRUPTION IS IN THAT MOMENT RIGHT THERE, IS A CHOICE. IT'S, it's SOMETHING BETWEEN US. Before we even geek out on like what what's the next you know Hololens or you know when when am I getting my self-driving car, um, because we have we have to make some decisions about like m- this. I had to relearn how to write for you know, on paper for a digital mindset, and I'm going to keep learning. So that that's where I think the
0: biggest disruption is. So that's interesting because you. Again, our part of our perspective is that we feel that the Earth started the, the day we were born, right? Uh, but the reality is uh, and, is that we're still all figuring this thing out together. And, and we feel like, God, we've been around forever, humanity. Yeah. But in reality, we've been around this amount of time, I mean, a minuscule amount right. of time. So we haven't even bothered to think through things like, hey, maybe the traffic guys should talk to the city planning guys. Right, there's so much more to figure out, and some of those in hindsight will be obvious. Like, oh my god, are you crazy? Why didn't they talk before? Right. So there's still a target-rich environment for so many things to improve upon. But you know the, what you said about the iPhone really, really resonates with me. I mean, it's almost everything we do. So I started a super PAC to, to defeat all other super PACs and get money out of politics. It's called Wolf and almost uh, no one at Wolf has worked in politics before. Wow Okay, because if you work in politics, you're used to the corruption. You take it as a fait accompli right. And so what well, we don't take it as a given, our whole job is to beat corruption, right And here at the Young Turks uh, our aim is to change the media. So we very rarely hire anyone that's worked in TV before because you have to deprogram them right. before you can actually get them to talk <laughs> like human beings. Yes right You have to get them to stop saying, And the number of ambulances have doubled, but so have the number of accidents. Like, no, no, nobody talks like that. Don't shh, right? So you, you're right. Disruption requires a whole different mindset, and the people who've been doing it before can't wrap their minds around it. Kodak, you know, all these classic examples of what do you mean? I have a camera. I take a picture, and then we you print it out months later right that's, that's right <laughs> how else would you take a picture well it turns out a lot of ways right so uh, so let's talk about news for one second because I'm I'm biased I care a lot about that do you see a disruption in in news at all in the digital age well, I mean you're part of it uh, the yeah it's it's and
1: it's in it's it's a long time coming I, I remember when I think 2006 when Twitter hit uh, I I remember saying news news no longer breaks it tweets right the soldiers like you have Literally a human seismograph that your people are now part of the news process. Whatever you're experiencing and sharing can sort of generate momentum around that. And I remember thinking that this this was this was a big deal in the sense that news was no longer something that was just owned, right? Or information wasn't just owned. Now it was completely democratized, and that meant it shifts screens. Its sources are are different. Um, it can come from anywhere, uh, and with the right sort of momentum. You can become sort of a news influencer or the newsmaker and i and and I, I started studying digital influence and and cause and effect and yeah is it, the whole the whole business of information was going to be and is is still going through this great level of disruption but for example, with the young turks i mean YouTube to me is one of the f- most fascinating uh, things to have happened in my world because you if you look at Not just kids, but just any adult who's who lives a mobile lifestyle, right? YouTube is your television. Your phone is your television. You know, you 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 can plug into anything at any time. And then the economic model behind that, right? Which was great because it was supported by ads. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But now with Red and like also competitors like Facebook, we're watching the disruption be disrupted uh, again. So to me, it's fascinating. But the thing that I love most about the the information business is that anyone can be anyone can play you don't have to be Rupert Murdoch now, right? Anybody can play in it. And this is again, again like anything in life, if you're if you believe in it and you you actually are passionate about the platform, the technology doesn't matter. It's what you're going to do to connect with people on the other side of the screen that's different. And that's that's the hard part.
0: Yeah, and it goes to the same conversation we've been having. You know, the old school uh, news networks like CNN, brag, are like, we're in 100 million homes. I'm like, yeah, dude, I'm in 3 billion pockets. So <laughs> good luck with that strategy. <laughs> okay. They, but they never thought about it that way no. before. And right. so they got all these executives who spent 20, 30, 40 years doing it the old way. And so their ship is very large and very hard to turn. Right. So that's why, in, in, in the new world, with change being so rapid, it's almost a disadvantage to be old and established and, and a legacy business. It's AN advantage to be smaller and more nimble, which I think is greatly empowering. So, and I, when people ask me about our industry uh, and competitors, and you know we've been doing online streaming for 10 years, uh, so I, I talked to a bunch of reporters about that recently. The thing they asked me is, well, what are you worried about in the next 10 years in terms mm-hmm. of competition? I was like, I'm not worried at all about CNN. I mean, all those their audience, the CNNs of the world, Mm -hmm. right? Their audience are going down. Their audience average age is 64. Why the next 10 years, what it'll be 74, (laughs) right? So I'm not concerned about that at all. I'm concerned about a kid in Nebraska who thinks, oh, I could do it better than the Young Turks. That's right. Right now, the reality is I'm not concerned. I want THEM to do it. (laughs) Right, and that's a whole other thing that blows people away. I want people to copy us. I want them to take our competitive advantage. Because I actually want the media to get better. Because I care about the country, yes. right? And so when I say I want those kids to come up and be better than us and beat us eventually, I, sometimes you get a little like, "No, you don't." <laughs> right? No, I do. I do. I want them to be great. You know, when they start doing it, I'll get a little pissed, but, <laughs> but that's normal. That's normal. But I'll be encouraged, and I'll and I'll be happy about the whole process, and and. And so it's a it's a new world and a new paradigm in, in how people think the fact that you're you know documenting it and analyzing it I, I think it's enormously helpful well'm I'm, I'm a big uh, I'm a big fan of what you're
1: doing and you know i've I personally have br- been brought into CNN and a lot of news news stations local to national all all around the country and they all struggle with the same thing because the answer is always counterintuitive right and it's never easy to embrace and I, I think sometimes I was just brought in like They didn't want the answer. They just wanted to be validated in that. Bingo.
0: Yeah, yeah. I've been brought in to talk to some of the networks as well. And bless their hearts, they're trying, right? They get that there's movement and there's change in the air. They want to adjust, but when you tell them things that they don't want to do, so for example, stop reading the goddamn teleprompter. You look like a robot. They go, oh no way, no way. Uh, Stop being neutral, okay? You 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 keep saying Republicans say this and Democrats say that. Nobody cares. What they care about is what's the reality. Yeah, what's who's reality? right? It's okay to say who's right as long as it's backed by the facts and not your opinion, right? They're like, ooh, saying somebody's right and the <laughs> other party is wrong. Mm, no, we're not gonna do that. We can't do that. I'm like, all right. Well, then you don't want to change, right? You no. Know, it was on me to tell you. It's on you to figure out whether you want to do it or not.
1: That's right. That's right. I mean, we live we live in a time where, you know, for example, I went I went to J school, you know, and. The fact of what BuzzFeed and 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 all of these the, these sites of what they do with the sensational headlines, like twenty uh, seven cats, that had a worse day than you. Number seventeen is going to break your heart. You know, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, I think I read that. <laughs> <right>. <laughs> <laughs> it's, now you think about the wall street journals of the world they have to, whether they know it or not they have to compete with stuff like that even though it goes against all journalistic principles but there's a science and psychology behind why those headlines work because you're not you're not just consuming information this is the this is the most important part about the information business you're not just consuming right that used to be a thing like view or or watching what have you reading time on site it's about the share as well, right? So you have to talk to and through people now through content, and this is a whole different game. Of which the news business, the journalism business, whatever it is, has to now rethink all of the principles that it was based on, right? And how you sell against that too, and it, it changes the game. But again, you either are part of change or you are a victim of it, and it's a choice. And I, I, I I've spent my entire career trying to help people, and I said I still will. BUT YOU HAVE TO SORT OF COME TO THIS UNDERSTANDING LIKE, YES, IT'S A DIFFERENT WORLD, AND I'M EITHER GOING TO HOLD EVERYONE BACK, OR JUST HOW DO WE BECOME, NOT JUST HOW DO WE BECOME DIFFERENT OR HOW DO WE GROW OR CHANGE, BUT HOW DO WE BECOME RELEVANT? AND I THINK THAT'S THE PURSUIT OF RELEVANCE SHOULD BE FUN. IT'S GOING TO BE HARD, BUT IT'S it's AN ENTIRELY DIFFERENT GENERATION of, OF PEOPLE, AND I'M NOT JUST TALKING ABOUT MILLENNIALS, JUST ANYONE WHO LIVES A CONNECTED LIFESTYLE thinks differently. They're so impatient. They're the center of their own universe. I call it the ego system, right? You want a tamale and an Uber? Man, there's apps for that. It'll both be here in a few minutes. That's what you're designing for. All we have to do is just accept that it's different and stop maybe talking like in my day we used to look at each other in the eye and have a conversation yeah. and
0: just be inspired by what's different and do something about it. Yeah, Pops, it ain't your day anymore. <laughs> so get used to it. So that's a good note to end on. I love that line uh, you're either part of change or a victim of it. So figure out which one you'd like to be. All right, Brian SOULS, thanks so much for joining thank us thank on you the end. So we appreciate it.